Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let, Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
Grace and peace to you this Easter Sunday from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I'm Dr. Barry Mullis, and I serve as the pastor of this congregation. And along with our liturgist, the Reverend Megan Lecluse, and our musicians, and our director of music, Andrew Sin, I am delighted to welcome you to our service for the Lord's Day for Easter Sunday. I advise you regularly to check our church website for opportunities to plug in deeply to the life of faith here at First Church. Let us worship the Lord our God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.
Jesus rising from the dead assures us that we too have been given new life. Let us repent of our sin before God and one another, certain of God's mercy. Eternal God, creator of the earth and all that is in it, redeemer of broken humanity, sustainer of all life, we remember your blessings and your gracious providence over all our days. Look kindly upon us, we pray, as we come to the empty tomb seeking your Son. We pray you will fill us with joy for the forgiveness of our sins as you cleanse us from unrighteousness. Renew within us the commitment to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Keep us on the way you would have us go. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, we pray. Amen. By the grace of God and the witness of our ancestors, the good news of Jesus' resurrection is our rock and our salvation. You shall not die but live. The rejected cornerstone has become your strength and your song. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our gospel lesson is taken from the 16th chapter of Mark's gospel. We read there the first eight verses. Listen for the word of God to us this day. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
us pray together. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It is time for some hallelujahs, don't you think? I'm sure you've noticed we haven't sung them in seven weeks. Hallelujah, hallelujah, it's the same thing. And it wouldn't be proper to shout hallelujah about such things as suffering and death and our own sin on which we reflected during Lent. It wouldn't be right. But we've surely gotten off of a, to a roaring start singing them today. Jesus Christ is risen today. Alleluia. And of course, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. Hallelujah. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. 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 We all know what we are here to celebrate this morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that calls for a hallelujah. But what exactly are we saying when we say hallelujah? Hallelujah is a composite of two Hebrew words. Hallelujah, which is the verb meaning praise, and Yah, which is a proper noun, the first syllable of a name given for God throughout much of the Hebrew scriptures. The word literally means praise God. We're saying early in the morning on the third day they came to the tomb and found it empty. Praise God. Except in Mark's gospel, it's not really a straight line from they found the tomb empty to hallelujah, praise God. It's not a straight line because Mark didn't write it that way. If you were following along in your Bible at home this morning as I read the gospel lesson, I am sure you noticed that there are 12 verses that followed where I left off the reading. We ended at verse 8. Uh, the chapter goes all the way on to verse 20. But if you look very closely at your Bible, you'll see that there are double brackets at the beginning and the end of all the rest of that material. Uh, that means that Mark didn't write it. It's part of the Bible. We should seek to understand it and see if it has any lessons for us as individuals and as a church. But what we know is that the overwhelming weight of scholarship tells us that Mark didn't write those verses. Now, this is not a new development in biblical scholarship, by the way. If you find a very old copy of the King James Version of the Bible, you will actually find those 12 verses relegated to the footnotes. Folks have agreed for a very long time that Mark did not write the longer ending. No, Mark ended his version of the gospel story with the words, they went and told no one, for they were afraid. That's sort of the opposite of a hallelujah, 
isn't it? Not a very satisfying ending either. The early church clearly didn't think so. Uh, Mark's ending must not have measured up to the standards that one expected from a risen Messiah. They didn't think that it was adequate, so they just sort of Disneyed up the end of Mark a little bit. All things considered, they were really fairly restrained in what they added. Just a, a few snakes, some exorcisms, the ability to drink poison, and for a touch of flair, a more proper ascension, you know, to keep up with what Matthew and Luke had written. It's a lot straighter line from a proper ascension to singing hallelujah, don't you think? When there are angels and trumpets, the hallelujahs just sort of roll right off our tongues. But it's harder to get them started following they went and told no one, for they were afraid. But Mark is up to something. Mark is a masterful writer, and he wants to keep us hooked. And so just at the moment that an eager listener expects to hear Mark break into song over the resurrection, the narrative abruptly ends with a cliffhanger. Not satisfying, is it? Once a, a friend of mine duped me into watching the movie version of Evelyn Wall's classic novel, A Handful of Dust. It was a visually lovely movie about rich, beautiful people making each other absolutely miserable. It ends with the hero of the story, if there ever was one, being abandoned in the jungles of Brazil, forced to read Charles Dickens aloud to his captor while his cousins took over his fortune and his house. It was a tediously slow movie, and after the hours and hours that I had invested in watching it, I felt used. It was not the way it was supposed to end. I think that must have been how the early church felt about the way Mark ended his gospel. They invested hours in listening to Mark, and then it just ends like that. No wonder they felt they needed to add a little light to it. But Mark has a trick up his sleeve. He ends with those haunting words, they told no one, for they were afraid and then Mark walks off the stage. The curtain drops. The audience is left to make something of it. But you know, I'm not so much sure that Mark is a trickster as he is a gambler. He gambles that the audience is going to go home feeling just a little unsettled, a little unsatisfied with the ending, then they're going to think about it. Think about it some more. And then realize, wait! I know how this story ends! Somebody must have told it. If we know the end of the story, it's because somebody told it. 
That's what I think Mark is up to with that cryptic ending, planting a seed in us so that we will go and tell someone. You see, Mark wants the hallelujah to come not from himself, but instead from us. Because Mark knows something about hallelujahs. He knows they don't mean much when they aren't sincere. Your printer is back online. Well, hallelujah. We believe we got it all. Just a short course of radiation and she's going to be fine. Hallelujah. Do you hear the difference? It makes a difference when we have something real to say praise God about. And unless we are spiritually tone deaf, we know the difference when we hear it. My friend Brian Blunt takes on such tone deaf hallelujahs. He writes, I don't think a lot of hallelujah hollering Christians fully understand what they are saying and doing and therefore cannot comprehend the power they possess. In my mind, such uncomprehending hallelujahs can be broken hallelujahs. Hallelujah is about the majestic celebration and validation of power. Terrible, awesome, reality revolutionizing, world warping, cosmos converting power. Mark doesn't end his gospel narrative with a triumphal declaration of power because he knew the only hallelujah that is worth singing is the one that addresses the oppressive powers that God overthrew in raising Jesus from the dead. Mark didn't write his gospel narrative for a self-satisfied, prosperous, comfortable, safe audience. I don't mean that unkindly or even terribly critically because that is what I am most of the time. It's what I suspect most of us are most of the time. No, Mark wrote for an audience that knew that at any minute the Roman government might upend their entire lives. They were poor. They were marginalized. They lived under an occupying power. They already knew what it was to have their existence upended. They were definitely not satisfied, comfortable, or prosperous. So when God raised this Jesus from the dead, it was a signal that God, not Rome, was in charge. The resurrection says, you might think you are in charge, Pilate. You might think, Rome, that you have the ultimate authority over life and death, but not so says God. Only God has ultimate authority over life and death. To the seemingly terrible power of Rome and of all future empires, God says in the raising of Jesus Christ, only I am power. Only I wield the power that gives life. Because with the resurrection, God says to all the powers of oppression, all you can do is destroy, but I have the power to raise to new life. That's a different sort of hallelujah. That is the sort of hallelujah fitting to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
Dr. Blunt continues, so our job is not just to sing hallelujah. Our job is to do the acts of liberating and gracious justice that make others in the world want to sing hallelujah. Are there people struggling in our communities? Become their reason for singing hallelujah. Are there children being left behind in our educational system? Become their reason for singing hallelujah. He goes on. Are there, hungry, are there people hungry for food and desperate to feed their families? Become their reason for singing hallelujah. Are there communities ruined by the devastations of storms or neglect? Become their reason for singing hallelujah. Are there people imprisoned by injustice, broken by oppression, haunted by humiliation, left by society, struggling to catch up, knocked down by life, trying to get up? Become their reason for singing hallelujah. I don't know if you know that we have a prayer group that meets every Sunday right after what would be our worship time if we were in person. We meet over the phone and we pray for whatever prayer requests come in through our church website. Some days, frankly most days, it's a grab bag of prayer requests. What they all seem to have in common, though, is this. The folks who offer them are looking for a reason to sing hallelujah. People need a reason to sing hallelujah. Sometimes the phone messages left in my office are a grab bag, too. You see, during our normal life, Sue screens them for me just a little bit, but since we've been socially distancing in our office, they mostly now go to my voicemail. The thing about voicemail, though, is that even, sometimes, even though the callers sometimes tend to ramble a bit, I have to listen all the way through just to make sure I'm not hanging up on someone who is telling me something really important about a member of the congregation. Well, the other day, I got one of those sort of grab bag phone calls, and I, I began listening, and I thought, okay, this is going to be another tale of woe. But there was a twist on this call. The caller said, Dr. Mullis, I am not calling to ask you for anything. You don't even need to call me back. But I wonder if you might pray for me. And Dr. Mullis, I'm already praying for you and for your congregation. I played that voicemail over again because I thought that I was going to hear another fine way to help someone else sing hallelujah. And just like that, God's redeeming, resurrecting power was turned back on me. I was the one being given a reason to sing hallelujah because someone I've never met, probably never will meet, was praying for you and for me during this difficult season for no other reason than our common faith in our risen Lord. And that, you see, is the sort of surprise ending that Mark is gambling on that we'll encounter the transforming, resurrecting power of God in our lives and that we will say, sing, and live our hallelujahs. Now, I don't have to tell any of you that this has been a hard winter. I can't think of a time in my memory when we have more needed to encounter stories of hope and redemption, whether 
on our social media or in our email inboxes or however. Uh, I still, frankly, remember some of those old NBC News making a difference segments. Do you remember those? They were stories of human beings at our best. I loved them. But the reason I bring them up this morning is not to highlight any one of them in particular, but rather to reflect on our need for them. They speak to us because we need to know that we matter. We all need to know that. Every single one of us. We all need to know that someone cares, that someone is willing to do what it takes to make a difference in our lives. And when you distill it down, that is the central and most important message of the resurrection, that we matter, that we matter tremendously to God, that we matter so much that God would go to the links of the crucifixion and the resurrection in order to make a difference in our lives. Mark is gambling that we will realize that the way we knew the whole story couldn't possibly end with the words, they went and told no one they were for, for they were afraid. He's gambling that we'll make the connection. We'll realize that we came to know it because it mattered enough for someone to make a difference. For someone to tell us that we mattered enough for God, to God, for God to endure Good Friday so that Easter could come. He believes, we'll, he's banking on the belief that we will connect the dots, that somebody wanted to make a difference in our lives. And so the gospel story is told. Truth is, though, I, I know Mark's a gambler, but I can never decide for sure whether his ending is absolutely brilliant or one of the dumbest moves in literature. No PR person would ever dream of creating an ad campaign that way. I mean, let's be honest, the kingdom of God is subtle sometimes, but people getting up from the dead is not a subtle message. It does sort of seem a little bit like a missed opportunity. We know the early church certainly thought that. No, there have to be better ways of getting the word out, I think, than gambling on us. But nevertheless, Mark takes the gamble. He's gambling that the gospel has a word for today. He's gambling that the gospel has a word for those experiencing unemployment, a word for those in poverty, a word for those struggling with addiction or mental illness. Mark is gambling that the gospel even has a word that will make a difference for the self-satisfied, the comfortable, and the prosperous. Mark is gambling that we will have the word to pick up where his story ends, that they told no one, for they were afraid. You see... Mark is gambling that the gospel is going to make us sing hallelujah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Hallelujah. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us together confess our faith.
in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made human and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe one Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. With compassion for our needs, the risen one stands beside us, calling our names. Let us, with that same mercy, bring forth tithes and offerings to relieve the suffering of this world and to proclaim far and wide the good news of resurrection life.
This is the joyful feast of the Lord. People will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Savior, who is even now the unseen host, who invites us all, who invites you. We read from the pages of scripture that it was at table when the disciples first recognized the Lord as he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. Even still, it is to this table that we are invited to come and to know our Lord. This is not a Presbyterian table. It is not even the church's table. It belongs to none but Jesus Christ, who invites all, who calls all, who calls you to come, dear friends, to this feast. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, eternal God, creator and ruler of the universe. At your word, the earth was made and spun on its course among the planets. Your hand formed us from the dust of the earth and set us among all your creatures to love and serve you. When we were unfaithful to you, you kept faith with us. Your love remained steadfast. When we were slaves in Egypt, you broke the bonds of our oppression, brought us through the sea to freedom, and made covenant to be our God. By a pillar of fire, you led us through the desert to a land flowing with milk and honey and set before us the way of life. You spoke of love and justice in the prophets, and in the word made flesh, you lived among us, manifesting your glory. He died that we might live and is risen to raise us to new life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name.
You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, whom you sent to save us. He came with healing in his touch and was wounded for our sins. He came with mercy in his voice and was mocked as one despised. He came with peace in his heart and was met with violence and death. By your power he broke free from the prison of the tomb, and at his command the gates of hell were opened. The one who was dead now lives. The one who humbled himself is raised to rule over all creation, the Lamb upon the throne. The one ascended on high is with us always as he promised. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Nourished at this table, O God, may we know Christ's redemptive love and live a new life in him. Help us to recognize our Lord in the breaking of bread to see and serve him in all whose lives are broken. Give us who are fed at his hand grace to share our bread with the hungry and with the hungry of heart. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church, now and forever. Hear now the prayer that your Son, Jesus, taught us, saying, Our, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Scripture teaches that on the night of his arrest, our Lord took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. 
Dear friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let, Let us, us keep, keep the feast. feast. Let us pray together once more. Holy God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your loving embrace. Having thus been fed at Christ's table, send us now to be Christ's body, to give bread to the hungry, to give charity to the poor, to give your people reasons to say hallelujah. Through Christ our Lord we pray all these things. Amen.
He is risen indeed. So let us in our turn share the good news of the gospel that we might indeed give someone a reason to sing hallelujah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.